This podcast is intended as healthcare practitioner education only and is not a substitute for medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. I didn't feel any many symptoms, which was interesting, until I got down to around five or seven. But before then, I was still normal like a run, which is <laughs> amazing. Uric acid. Hyperuricemia is a hidden cause of kidney failure. Many patients come to see me with the kidney failure problems, and after I treat them with the xanthine oxidase inhibitors, their kidney functions improve. This is Bioconcepts Between Clinical Minds, the podcast that's open-minded enough to take in all sides of a clinical story. You'll hear from researchers, doctors, naturopaths, nutritionists, and patients. We look at common clinical presentations through a different lens. It's open, frank, and sometimes controversial. Nothing is off limits. Will it change the way you treat? We'll leave that up to you. In season two of Bioconcepts Between Clinical Minds, we look at cardiometabolic health. We talk to experts in the field who will take you into their clinics and share their experience. I'm Tony Chambers, and this is Bioconcepts Between Clinical Minds. In this episode of Between Clinical Minds, we discuss kidney disease with Henry Osiki and Thai renal specialist, Dr. Patana. Henry Osiki is a pioneering biochemist and nutritionist with decades of clinical experience. He has end-stage renal disease and has been treating himself alongside conventional medicine for decades. And he says he's extended his life expectancy and improved his quality of life. The prevalence of uh, global kidney disease is between 8 and 16% of the population. It's worse in the uh, Asian countries and better in European and Australian countries. And the uh, chronic uh, kidney disease is one of the most common types of diseases that we get. But there are mm-hmm. about 15 different varieties. Oh, right. Yeah, so it's uh, quite a bit of a thing. And the most common causes of uh, chronic kidney disease are ageing, mm-hmm. Male gender, we are um, male tend to lose more nephrons. Uh, but the things that actually cause the diabetes generally in the white person population is diabetes and hypertension mm. and, and, of course, lifestyle. Mm. The usual symptoms that we start getting chronic disease, uh, chronic uh, symptoms, and with my uh, kidney uh, damage and, and flow, I didn't feel any many symptoms, which was interesting, mm. until I got down to around five or seven. But before then, I was still normal like a run, which was <laughs> mm. amazing. But what happens is that in chronic symptoms of chronic kidney disease, vomiting is a, a thing that happens. Vomiting, nausea, sleep problems, chest pain, shortness of breath, uh, decrease of mental sharpness, fatigue and weakness. 
These are the actual symptoms that uh, most people, like a friend of ours, she's only 60, had those exact symptoms. And when they did her GFR, she was six. And that's when she had symptoms. So it's not just the kidney, it's the the ageing process of that individual. When we're talking about ageing processes, we're talking about food, the nutrients they take, the drugs they take, all those things play a, a part. Because a lot of people don't realise that you have to get to know all the drugs that cause the kidney damage and not get exposed to them. The other lifestyle signs are swelling in the ankles and the feet, uh, muscle twitches and cramps are the other actual symptoms. And treatment of this disease depends on the underlying cause, and there are many under causes. And I've got a list of them, um, and it starts from birth intrauterine deficiency because of a disturbed placenta function. So that child is going to have a smaller kidney and a higher load and and therefore he's more likely to experience kidney damage sometimes, hopefully not uh, as a child but as an adult. Mm. Uh, Maternal malnutrition Mm. and the other one is infection. Mine was infection initially at the age of uh, nine. So what happened to me is I lost a lot of nephrons. Then I, when I got to 60, I realised, geez, I've lost a lot of nephrons, so I have to look after it. But it was only then that you started experiencing symptoms. Yes. And, and even then, they didn't yes. immediately put it down to kidney dysfunction, did they? No, no. Mm-hmm. Well, it was my fault probably, but, you know, mm-hmm. yeah, when you're sick, you don't know what, you, what you've got. Dr. Patana is a renal specialist in Thailand, and he says 10% of his population will have kidney failure. The causes are simple. I found there's a three causes of kidney failure that can be preventable or can be treated. First is prescription drugs or even some uh, herbs or anything. So drugs. Second, hyperuricemia. And third is a acid-forming, high acid-forming diet. We have to check all the diet. So when the patients of my first visit, anytime they came to see me, they have to bring and show me all the prescription drugs because I will know and understand the side effect of every individual drugs. And you, you may be surprised that some patients taking like 20 medicines, 20 Prescription medicine, how could it happen? And some even from the same categories, two calcium antagonists, two proton pumps inhibitor, two lipid-lowering agents. And that's probably going to happen because they take too many unnecessary prescription drugs. And hyperuricemia already told that it's a hidden cause, silent cause of kidney failure, and many people don't know. Uh, I have a hyperuricemia run in the family, uh, and they are female, they are women. The, the first one have dialysis treatment and received transplantation and die. And since that, so I don't know if she has hyperuricemia or not. The second one received dialysis treatment right now. She has hyperuricemia, but I cannot help her anymore. The third one comes to see me because they're afraid that she has to follow her sisters. And she has hyperuricemia. I treat hyperuricemia. She's the one who saved. And now it came to the second generation their children also have hyperuricemia. So it's it run in the families and they have no idea. 
and without treatment, they receive dialysis for nothing. So I, I checked the drugs, I checked hyperuric and the high acid forming food. That's a difficult one because I have to check the own history of what they eat. So what I put them, I just say, try to be on vegetarian side, please. But then, you know, a lot of hidden or a lot of acid forming food that people think is good for them. For example, a lot of milk. You can put milk, small amount of milk in your coffee, fine, but not just a huge load of milk, especially when you have a kidney failure already. And so a lot of something wrong about Thailand, though, in terms of food that's good for the kidney. There's a lot of pea experts that try to show them that this food is good, this food is good, but turns out it's all wrong because they just uh, kidney patients to eat a lot of white egg. And white egg is high acid load. When you take a whole lot, like six of them, that's a high acid load. And they said to be more on vegetarian side, some people don't understand and go for a fish because in Thailand, teach them that fish is good, fish is good proteins. But they said, no, fish also acidic food because it's a protein, so it's a high acid load. You have to take and cut it down and take it a small amount. And milk as well is a high acid load. Pasta is high acid load. Or even the water, if you drink one wrong kind of water, it's acidic load, like beer. So I always tell my patient to drink mineral water because it's low acid load, because it's alkali. So it's, it's all about acidic food. So can you tell me more about uric acid? I just bought a book actually called Drop Acid by an American doctor. It's a great name. But can you tell me more about uric acid? I think it's kind of one of these silent markers where you look at it for gout, you know, traditionally, but it's, it's so much more, isn't it? Many patients come to see me with the kidney failure problems and after I treat them with the xanthine oxidase inhibitors, the kidney functions improve. So what uric acid can do First of all, high-level uric acid can precipitate under acidic conditions. And when you say that, well, our blood pH is alkaline, then uric acid won't have a chance to precipitate. We not talk about precipitations in the blood. Precipitation occurs in the tissues. For example, when you develop gout, it happens because uric acid precipitates in your joint. And what happened? It, it precipitates in the kidney and in the arterial endothelial wall, you know, uric acid is the cause of endothelial injury that we call endothelial dysfunction. It can cause endothelial dysfunctions. It can cause hypertension. A lot of people with the younger age and have problems taking a lot of antihypertensive medications, the blood pressure still go higher, try treat uric acid. A lot of patients come to me when they start prescribing xanthine oxidase inhibitor, their blood pressures go down and... Nowadays, they take only one medication, one light antihypertensive medication plus xanthine oxidase inhibitors. Uh, as it can cause gout, we know about it. When we put ourselves in the acidic conditions, for example, drinking beer with steak or drinking soft drink with steak, okay? And uric acid can cause kidney stones. And most people don't know that uric acid can cause interstitial 
kidney disease. It means it precipitated like a small, tiny needle shape uh, crystals in the kidney and cause kidney injuries, inflammations. And since we never care to have uric acid checkup, I found that many Thai people, young Thai people, especially men, uh, 30 years old, 40 years old, could be up to 30% who have hyperuricemia. And many of them develop kidney failure. So it's a hidden cause that we don't look for. We will miss a big pictures. We will miss treatment of people, young people, male, male, young, young male who have kidney failure. So it's very, very important. You were talking about hyperuricemia and diet. Really, in that situation, would you agree that fructose is the is the evil there? Oh, I wait for you to ask these questions. Okay, okay, yes. Uh, this is also the hidden knowledge. I don't know why many doctors don't know that fructose is the major cause of hyperuricemia nowadays. Okay, because most people who have hyperuricemia always drink a lot of soft drink. Okay, and soft drink is very acidic. It contains uh, phosphoric acid. So when the patients, have, don't, anyone who has a good kidneys, don't drink soft drink, diet or not, because it's a mm. phosphoric acid and it's a high acid load to the kidney. Kidney have to work so hard to get rid of these acid. Okay, so soft drink is bad, and certain soft drink contain high fructose corn syrup, and these artificial fructose is so bad. People always ask, fructose does it contain purine? How come it causes hyperuricemia? Let me explain. Each molecule of fructose, when it metabolizes, will use one molecule of ATP. So when you drink a lot of soft drink, you lose one ATP. ATP will change into ADP, AMP, which actually is purine. And with the enzyme xanthine oxidase, this AMP will switch to uric acid. It means one molecule of fructose, what is metabolized, you get one molecule of uric acid. So we call it de novo uric acid synthesis. And most common cause is fructose. And people will ask me then, what about fructose in fruits, right? And fructose in, let's say, honey. Okay, every fructose is bad, but the fruits, okay, because it contains kind of high fibers. So when you eat fruits, it's not like 100% of fructose in the fruits is absorbed. It's not like soft drink, 100% absorbed and a high amount. Uh, let me say that 35 uh, grams of fructose in the soft drink, which is just about one can of soda, and absorb 100%. But if you eat fruit, you have to eat a lot. Uh, if you eat mangoes, you need at least three. Orange, you need seven. So berry is the best one, but it has low fructose. So go for berries, strawberries, cranberries. Okay, so fruits is important. Thank you for explaining the metabolism of fructose to uric acid. And obviously, it's also producing non-alcoholic fatty liver as well, isn't it? As well as contributing towards kidney disease and other insulin resistance, et cetera, in the body. People don't think like this. Okay, when you eat sugar, you know, sugar is sucrose, right? The mm -hmm. sugar is uh, uh, sucrose. Sucrose is disaccharide. 
when the disaccharide sucrose is metabolized, is digested, it yields one glucose and one fructose. And people wonder, okay, glucose is bad, it's high in our blood, it causes diabetes, so let's stop glucose. Then they were asked, what happened to fructose? You eat sucrose, it means you get glucose and fructose. What happened to fructose? The story is glucose remains in our blood, high in our blood, because the body has the mechanisms. It's sensitive to insulin. It, the body cannot allow the entire glucose to flood into our cells. But fructose, there's no inhibitions. Fructose can enter our cell freely and switch to triglyceride. So actually, it's the fructose that causes metabolic syndrome switch to triglyceride. And also, because of fructose doesn't stimulate leptin, you can drink soft drink like this, and you don't feel any food, you don't have problem with it. But you, you eat sugar, small amount, you feel like, oh, it's enough. Okay, because the leptin starts to stimulate for your brain. So if fructose is, uh, is dangerous, not only because it can enter our cell freely, it causes hyperuricemia, it decreases ATP, and it also doesn't stimulate our body to say, stop, this is toxic. Mm. So you can drink soft drink forever without feeling anything at all. That's why you want to supersize when you go to the uh, <laughs> uh, fast food store, they would ask you to supersize all your soft drink. And you don't feel anything. You can drink the entire thing because the fructose mm. doesn't make you feel anything but, but, but happy and the toxins come after. So yes, fructose switch to dry crystalline. Mm. So the importance of fructose is so important and the patients, my patients that I fail to save the kidney, many of them refuse to stop drinking soft drink. So I think maybe it's some addictive somehow. The study shows that sugar and fructose are more addictive than cocaine. Absolutely. So can you just explain for us then that bi-directional relationship between the kidneys and the cardiovascular system just to set the scene for us. Some people like to use the term cardio-renal syndrome. Okay, right? It means heart disease called the kidney disease and kidney disease called heart disease. But I'm kind of sarcastic a little bit. I will explain the mechanisms to you but then also, sometimes and many times I call it cardiologist renal syndrome because it's a cardiologist themselves that's caused kidney disease by prescribed wrong drugs or too many drugs. Mm-hmm. Uh, let me explain about the cardiorenal syndrome first. The kidney has the mechanisms that when the body loses blood or loses fluid, the kidney sends that it has low blood flow to the kidney the kidney will make a substance called renin that will stimulate the whole system called renin, angiotensin, aldosterone system, re, uh, resulting in increasing blood pressure, salt and water retention because the kidney wants to maintain the body from getting into the state of shock. It's a basic mechanism when you lose blood mm. or lose fluid. However, when we have low cardiac output, so the blood flow to the kidney is less. Kidney doesn't know. Kidney doesn't understand that we are not losing blood. Actually, the water is staggering in the lung and, and, and accumulating. 
So kidney will try to increase blood pressure up again, increase salt and water retention, and so resulting in increased workload for the heart. That's why people call when you have the heart failure, the kidney doesn't help. Kidney make it worse. Mm. So I think it's just like that. And um, I guess talking about the kidney disease, we know that it progresses slowly without many signs really in the beginning. But for you, what is the first sign of a person's state, a cardiometabolic state or the state of their kidneys as well? I always say that when you first have the kidney problems, you will have no signs at all, okay? Unless some... Your dead grandparents come into your dream and say, please go and have a kidney checkup. But usually, if you don't have your checkup test, you will not know that you have kidney failure. So actually, early size, you have to go to have a routine checkup. What do you going to check yourself? First, blood pressure. Make sure everyone, please, everyone, myself included, have blood pressure machine. At home, you need to know your own blood pressure always. You don't need to go check up to know your blood pressure. Second, when you do check up, pay attention to something called creatinine, CR, creatinine. It tells you the early kidney functions too. Pay attention to your proteinuria, the amount of proteins that leaking out into your urine. Pay attention to your blood sugar, The best one to test is called hemoglobin A1C, accumulated blood sugar. Many people think that it's only important for people who have diabetes. Art is wrong. The study shows that high hemoglobin A1C, even in patients who don't have diabetes, can lead to a high mortality rate and kidney disease. Mm. And the last thing, make sure you have it checked, especially in men, is uric acid. Mm. Uric acid is a hidden cause of kidney disease. However, when the patients come to see me and say, doctors, I don't want to have a kidney disease, the other factors that cannot be tested is your own medicine. You are the best doctor for yourself Mm. and If you take too many prescriptions, pills, the chance you will develop kidney disease. So Mm. you may be surprised that it's a prescription drug themselves that cause kidney failure and many doctors don't recognize this problem. Henry Oseki says he has experienced the full gamut of symptoms, including fatigue, broken sleep, muscle cramping, swollen feet and ankles, and dry, itchy skin, just to name a few. Renal anemia is another common complaint of uh, thing, and it's very difficult to deal with, actually. And it's the anemia that, that is associated with chronic inflammation, iron deficiency, which we well, you're taking it out with your uh, dialysis, so you have to yeah. take some iron and they do give it to you supplementally. They tend to give it, um, and this is a, an important point, when do you give the iron? At the beginning of the dialysis or at the end? Mm. The dialysis uh, removing the iron that you've given mm. and uh, thing, and there's a bit of confusion there in the, in the 
uh, people that I'm dealing with, I tend to ask them to give it to me at the end mm. rather than at the beginning or in the middle. Mm. So I feel them you're wasting some um, some of that. Um, the other thing is because of the anemias and also because of the toxins of the kidney, you have a short, uh, shortened lifespan. So you're okay. knocking out the root blood cells, you're losing iron, and uh, and the EPO is also deficient in these individuals. So you don't have a stimulus to produce red blood cells, mm -hmm. right? Mm -hmm. Then you, you've got the consequence of the toxins causing uh, oxidative stress, mm -hmm. particularly in people like me, and they are intrinsically linked to hypoxia, which is very interesting, and inflammation. So what I found as my condition gets worse and things of this nature is I have problems in breathing mm -hmm. so uh, and inflammation. So I have to really take my antioxidant nutrients, mm -hmm. try to breathe heavily or deeply and do what I call lung exercises. Mm. And uh, also, what people don't under, probably appreciate is that most people with uh, chronic uh, kidney disease have chronic heart disease. And this is reflected in basically the atheroma that accumulates from the blood vessels and things like that. And the other thing that we have to look at is uremic toxins. Uh, when the immune filtration starts to fall, uremic toxins accumulate. And then we go into the chronic diseases associated with uh, uremic um, retention, the asymmetric dimethylarginine, sulfate, and picresol, which are produced in your gut. Uh, and they are pro-atherogenic. Uh, so they basically age your blood vessel walls and things. And they also may be responsible for the metabolic acidosis and the hyperparathyroidism, insulin resistance, and things like that. Now, that's contentious in some ways. You have to be very high levels to get that to happen. The regulation of the angiotensin system, which is the hypertension, and this lipidemia. So you've got a whole pile of oxidative stresses, mm. and that could cause the acceleration of the disease. So we have to not just look at the bugs, the hepatic mechanism, uh, the uh, altered hepatic metabolism is important. Mm. Uh, and uh, that that requires looking at your nutrients in particular for detoxification. Uh, advanced renal fibrosis, if you've got that problem, you get uremic toxins. The uremic toxin causes renal fibrosis. So that's mm. why we have to make sure that uh, the uh, renal patients are taking some type of uh, probiotic on a regular basis. The link between the gut and the kidney seems to be bi-directional. Mm. Since uremic patients also seem to have a unique dysbiotic colon environment with profoundly altered composition and metabolism of gut microbes and prolonged transit time. Increasing intake of fibre is associated with overall uh, lower protein-bound uremic toxins. So basically, uh, everyone looks at the dysbiosis in the colon but they also do that in the uh, in the kidney. Mm. So uh, if you increase the fibre in this, and this also helps the kidney as well and the bowel, it uh, decreases these ure uremic problems. And wouldn't that also help your like neuroinflammation and neurotoxicity? Yes. 
yeah, yeah, yeah. I have no doubt about that. So the oligosaccharides, the uh, gums and the hemicellulose, the resistant starches are the ones I like to have. If you had yourself as a patient or if you had someone come in with, you know, let, let's say stage one or stage two kidney disease, where do you start with them? You start with the basics of the blood. Yeah. The diabetes, the yeah. hypertension, all right? Yeah. That's the actual cause of the problem. Yes. Right? And then that's followed by the gut dysbiosis. Yeah. So if you regulate those type of things, you, you deal with 56% of the problem. And if you get it early, you won't have to take so many vitamins or nutrients and things like that. Then you look at another thing, you say maybe genetic. But then you ask, what was your childhood like? Mm. You know what I mean? Because particularly in a child, the size of the kidney will be determined by what, what you've been eating and things of that nature. Mm. And that means that you may have a smaller kidney than normal, and this then causes the early death. Henry Osiki says that a low-protein diet means kidney patients miss important amino acids that have to be supplemented, including creatine. And uh, they found that brain creatine deficits, you know, brain creatine deficits, not for the muscle. Yeah, for the brain. Because the people are not eating the proteins and creatine levels, their brain function is going down. That's something that uh, I think creatine is the thing and uh, go on the histidine-glycine combination mm-hmm. uh, and then uh, the NAD. I'm very interested always in the Krebs cycle. Mm. That is the centre of life. Mm. Without that, there's no human being, all right? And they talk about the mitochondria and things like that. And you look at the mitochondria function, it produces everything mm-hmm. and destroys everything. It's an amazing molecule, mm. right? Yeah. And when you, and when you look at the, the structure of it, what do you see in AD right at the beginning? Yeah. So FAD, that's vitamin B2. And you've got copper and zinc, copper iron in there. Mm. So they're valuable. It's not just for anemia. It's for the mitochondrial function. Mm. And then it's got ATP and breaks it down to AM, AMP and to adenosine and things like that. And each of them release a certain amount of energy. But it's a, it's a different quality energy as it goes down. Mm. So ATP is very important. Then you look at the, the cycle, right, the Krebs cycle. You can see that it, it actually rotates forward and backward. So it synthesizes as well as destroys. When I came up with this idea, and it was in 1998, I... Uh, called it mitochondrial energy medicine. I know, and now it's everywhere. Everyone talks about it now. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Mitochondrial dysfunction. Yeah, yeah. But it's not dysfunction. I I prefer it um, because if it's a dysfunction, you're dead. Um, uh, It's it's optimization. And obviously you're a renal specialist. You have all of these, I guess, tools at your disposal, but um, you've got medications, you've got a lot of tools at your disposal, but is diet and lifestyle and supplementation your main prescription? Or obviously there would be times when you use medication? Of course, I have to use medications because I'm also the conventional doctors. Hmm. 
I call medication as a, something called like a quick fix. Mm-hmm. Okay, if you have, have high blood pressure, you need to use medication. But most of you don't know that lifestyle help reduce blood pressures, high potassiums, high magnesium reduce blood pressure, losing weight reduce blood pressure. I will add it in, but while I wait for these things to take an effect, I start with antihepatitis drug, and I teach them all the lifestyles. And also prescribe when people have hypertension, I always ask them to take magnesium supplement, and it works. Okay, and also let's say if have someone have hypertension, okay, start by uh, hypertensive medications, but you need to tell them about food, about high potassium diet, about high magnesium diet, reduce stress, and then ask them to measure blood pressure at home, give them chelated magnesium as well. Okay, ask them to lose weight, and then in the long run, things getting better. So everything I do, I will tell the patients that every organs, every organs, your brain, your heart, your lungs, your liver matters to the kidney. Don't come to see me because I'm a nephrologist and say, "Okay, doctors treat the kidney." I have the cardiologist to take care of my heart. I say, "No, everything matters. Your heart matters." Your brain matters. Your lung, your liver matters. What you eat matters. Stress matters, and your supplements and your diet matters. I have to take care of you as a whole body. Tell me what kind of medicine you have. Tell me what kind of diet you eating every day. If you fat, I will adjust for you to lose weight. If you stress, we talk about why you are stressing. Uh, can you sleep? Are you taking melatonin? So the entire knowledge you need to put it up. A lot of things. To the patients, so the first visit could take a long time. So the patient have to tell me what you eat, the medicines, and everything, mm. and the drugs just just small amount of it. But is it the Mediterranean style diet that you do recommend, Dr. Patana? Oh, I don't. I'm not uh, strictly vegetarian myself, barely. So I try to set the simple rules. Mm-hmm. Okay, I try to set simple rules in terms of plant diet. I say that not processed. I say mix more on vegetarian side. It means in Thailand we have something called fish sauce that you put in your food. Uh, I still allow fish sauce, okay? Mm-hmm. Because other it it make it taste like fish. So when you cook a vegetarian food and you put fish sauce in, at least you can smell fish or dry shrimp a little bit. So I don't. I'm not. I, I try not to give them like a stick rule because it's difficult to do. Mm. So I allow them to put a trim paste, fish sauce, a small amount of into it to allow to bring up the taste. So the, my rule is try to be more on vegetarians, avoid meat soup because meat soup contain a lot of meat acid, mm. and then avoid processed food including pasta. Don't forget that milk is acidic food. Avoid it, or even if milk that made from vegetables can be acidic because when you when you put a lot of uh, milk, okay, even from vegetarians like almond milk, pistachio milk, this too much, okay. If you eat almonds, fine, but when you drink almond milk, it come from like this much of the mm. almond is too much. It causes kidney load. So. And processed food like pastas, like canned food, avoid it. Of course, soft drink, avoid it. So I set up the rules, and then I ask the patient what food you can eat. 
And usually in Thailand, if they can make food by itself, it's easy because we have we have a lot of vegetarian dish in Thailand that you can choose from. And you are Indians. I know there's a lot of Indian food in Australia. You can grow from Indian, but avoid milk. Ask all the Indians to eat their food, vegetarian food dishes without milk. The the pro the top thing if you ask the Chinese food, Chinese, Korean, and Japanese is a top one because they barely barely have any vegetarian diet into their regimen. So uh, that's a top one. You mentioned a patient who just couldn't give up the soft drink. How do you find compliance in general with diet and lifestyle? Mm, this is tough for me too, and I realize that I maybe mean, because I'm a nephrologist. You know, when someone has, let's say, diabetes, you ask them to exercise and control diet; they don't care. When someone have hyperuricemia, metabolic syndrome, they don't care to change their lifestyle. But believe me, if you tell them, "Hey, change your lifestyle. You already have a kidney failure. If you don't change your lifestyle, in three years you're gonna receive dialysis treatment." They will change. So sometimes you have to treat them. Mm. Talk about people who smoke cigarettes, a heavy smokers. You know why they stop? Because they're so afraid of disease. People who smoke cigarettes. If their lung CT scan, chest X-ray shows something wrong, which is maybe non-smoking related, they will be afraid and they will stop. And some people stop because they have children that need to stop smoking. Mm. Same thing when people who have metabolic disease start having, let's say, stroke, heart disease, kidney failure. It's easier to get compliance for them. You will not comply, but mm. most of them will. Most of them will go from high meat diet into strictly vegetarians like this. Yeah, we threaten a little bit. <laughs> You're not beyond threatening them a little bit. <laughs> well, sometimes I take them a tour. Let walk with me. Let go to visit dialysis unit together. <laughs> Imagine that they walk through this patient receive dialysis treatment. Believe me, it's a nightmare. We try to treat them to make sure they don't have to experience the same thing. In the final episode of Between Clinical Minds, we discuss the cardiometabolic risks associated with menopause. We talk to ND Lara Bryden, naturopath and nurse Jane Hutchins, and naturopath Amanda Haberecht. Thank you for listening. We hope this podcast engaged and empowered you. And thank you to all of our experts. You can read more information on each of them on our website, bioconceptsengage.com.au. If you enjoyed this episode of Between Clinical Minds, please refer a friend and share the love. To continue the conversation, you can contact us at bioconceptsengage.com.au, where community is more than a concept. Music